This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day, welcome to episode 19 of AFF On Air. It's Saturday the 7th of September 2019. I'm your host Matt Graham and coming up in today's episode... I chat to Leon Loganathan about his recent experience booking a Qantas One World Award, hidden city pricing, priority pass lounges, and more. Also coming up, the great little regional airline base in New Zealand that you've probably never heard of. That's coming up later in the episode, but first here's what's making news on Australian Frequent Flyer this fortnight. And the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, or ACCC, has expressed significant concerns over the practices of frequent flyer, supermarket and credit card loyalty programs in Australia. In a 107-page draft report on Australian loyalty schemes, the ACCC identifies several key areas of concern, ranging from opaque privacy policies to expiring frequent flyer points and airline carrier charges. The ACCC is now inviting public submissions on the draft report until the 3rd of October, and the Australian Frequent Flyer intends to make a submission. A German court has ruled that passengers who pay for business class tickets should not have to accept a downgrade to economy class. In the recent case, a passenger had booked a business class ticket from Germany to the Dominican Republic, but the airline in question went bankrupt before the plight took place. As a replacement, the customer's travel agent had offered alternative flights in economy class, also requiring an extra overnight stop along the way. The travel agent argued that many other travellers also fly in economy class, so this passenger should too. However, the customer sued the travel agent, and the judge agreed that economy class was not an adequate replacement. Virgin Australia's new lounge in the International Terminal of Brisbane Airport has finally opened, almost a year behind schedule. My Lounge, home of Virgin Australia as it's called, is operated by Number One Lounges and it's located near Gate 77 on the departure level of Brisbane's International Terminal. Virgin Australia business passengers as well as Velocity Gold and Platinum members can use the lounge when departing from Brisbane on any Virgin International flight. Virgin Australia lounge members may also use the lounge but only when flying with Virgin to New Zealand. So far, My Lounge has received positive reviews It offers barista coffee, a grazing menu, and a bar service with beer, wine, and a signature Virgin Australia Flamingo cocktail. There are also showers, Wi-Fi, and charging outlets available. If you don't otherwise have access to this land, you can actually pre-purchase access online for $60. And in addition, if you're a Velocity Frequent Flyer member, you can get 20% off this and earn 3 Velocity points per dollar spent. In some not-so-good news for Virgin Australia, the airline last week reported a $315 million loss for the last financial year. This was Virgin Australia's seventh consecutive annual loss. Virgin's domestic business and Velocity Frequent Flyer program are profitable, but Virgin's international business and its low-cost subsidiary Tiger Air were loss-making. In response to the poor financial results, new CEO Paul Skura has announced 750 job cuts from Virgin's head office, as well as a review of its route network and suppliers. Meanwhile, BP will terminate its partner with Velocity Frequent Flyer and launch its own BP rewards program in conjunction with Qantas Frequent Flyer early next year. It has not yet revealed exactly how the BP Rewards loyalty program will work, nor how many Qantas points you'll be able to earn per dollar, but we do know that you'll earn points on fuel and eligible in-store purchases. Currently, you can earn 2 Velocity points per litre of fuel or $1 spent in-store at BP. 
Currently, it is already possible to earn Woolworths Rewards points at Caltex petrol stations, which can be converted to Qantas points. You can also earn Flybys points, which can be converted to Velocity points at Shell petrol stations. As a result of this new partnership, Qantas Business Rewards will cease to partner with the Caltex Starcard. United Airlines has announced that United Mileage Plus Miles will no longer expire, ever. United joins just a small handful of frequent flyer programs around the world where miles don't expire, which includes its US rival Delta Sky Miles. The announcement comes as United launches a new Mileage Plus shopping portal in Australia, allowing Aussies to earn up to two United miles per dollar spent at 205 Australian online retailers. Qantas and Velocity Frequent Flyer also run their own online malls, allowing you to earn Qantas and Velocity points with online shopping purchases. French airline Aigle Azur has suspended all flights as of today, after filing for bankruptcy just last Monday. Affected passengers are being told to purchase tickets on another airline and to either request a credit card chargeback or contact their travel agent for a refund. Aigle Azur operated an extensive short-haul network within France, as well as flights between France and Portugal, Lebanon and various African destinations. Numerous airlines, including Singapore Airlines and Thai Airways, have temporarily banned Apple MacBook Pro computers affected by the recent recall. In Australia, Qantas has banned the affected 15-inch MacBook Pro laptops from checked luggage and says that affected computers may not be switched on or charged during flights. Virgin Australia, meanwhile, is banning all MacBook computers from checked luggage. Apple warns that affected MacBook Pro 15-inch laptops sold between September 2015 and February 2017 have faulty batteries that could pose a fire risk. Malaysia Airlines is offering a fast track to enrich gold status, which is equivalent to One World Sapphire or Qantas gold status. If you book a round-trip Malaysia Airlines business class or business suites ticket from Australia or New Zealand to London by the 16th of September, and travel by the 30th of July 2020, you'll receive an instant upgrade to enrich gold status for 12 months. This offer also works in the other direction, that is flying from London to Australia or New Zealand, and it also works if you fly round trip from London to Southeast Asia in business or business suites class, however this is only if you have a flexible ticket. Business Suites, in case you're wondering, is Malaysia Airlines' version of First Class. Qantas Business Rewards is offering free membership to businesses that sign up by the 15th of September this year, saving $89.50. You can also earn 5,000 bonus Qantas Business Rewards points by earning at least 500 uh, points by the 19th of October. And the Accor Hotel Group has revealed the benefits that will apply to its new status tiers as the hotel shifts from its current Le Club loyalty program to the new Accor All scheme. On the whole, the benefits unfortunately look quite underwhelming. For example, only the top tier Diamond members receive free breakfast under the new program and only on weekends for some reason. Silver members do, however, receive, and I quote, priority welcome turndown service. Now, as a Silver Accor member myself, I suppose that I might like that benefit, if I actually knew what it meant. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, make sure you've subscribed to the Australian Freak and Fly Gazette or follow us on Facebook.
This week, I have the pleasure of being joined again by Leon Luganathan, who is a lawyer at Ward Keller and host of the Boundless Possible podcast, all about the characters of the Northern Territory. And I'm joined by Leon today in sunny Darwin. It's an absolutely stunning day here. Welcome to the podcast again, Leon. Thank you, Matt. Now, Leon, you're probably aware, and I'm sure our listeners will be aware as well, that Qantas is going to be putting up the price of premium cabin uh, classic flight reward bookings, upgrades, and also the One World Award, the one that, that wonderful award that you can use to fly around the world for bookings in premium cabins in just 11 days. So this um, podcast is going out on the 7th of September. On the 18th of September, Qantas is going to be putting up the prices. So now's a really good time to be making, you know, those Qantas bookings if, if you need to travel anywhere in the next year or so. Have you, you've got quite a balance of Qantas points, Leon. Have you been um, making any bookings to take advantage of the current pricing? Well, I have thanks to you, Matt. And to, to be quite honest with you, I always thought the highest and best use of uh, Qantas points was Emirates First Class. But uh, you showed me, uh, much to my astonishment, that in fact, an equal or possibly better use of the points was to use it to book a business class on this um, One World Classic Reward. So um, yeah, we did that recently and it was it was actually quite mind-blowing because the way that we pieced, we pieced together the itinerary is effectively two trips that I have to make next year uh, and I'm doing it effectively on one booking, which is quite astounding. Yeah, and, and we did cover the One World Classic Flight Reward in a, in a previous episode of the podcast. But it, it does allow you to fly around the world, but it's not actually around the world award. That's a bit of a misconception. There's no So with the Chris Flyer equivalent, for example, they have a Star Alliance around the world award. You actually have to travel around the world and you have to cross each of the oceans once in, in order. So they can't backtrack in the same way that you can with the One World Award. But with the One World Award, basically you get 35,000 miles of, of flying distance to play with and you get up to five stopovers. And what you do with those 35,000 miles is entirely up to you as long as you meet the, you know, the various rules, like you have to travel on at least two other One World Airlines other than Qantas and so on. But yeah, so Leon, for, for you, um, you live in Darwin and you needed to travel to Monterey and then about a month later on a completely separate trip to Helsinki Correct. Uh, uh, I mean, especially in the case of Monterey, it's about as far away from Darwin as you can get. But um, you managed to get both of those trips in under the 35,000 mile limit. How did you do that? Well, I mean, I'd like to take credit for it, Matt, but you were right there behind me <laughs> helping me <laughs> along the way. So, uh, look, uh, the first thing we did was uh, look for a flight from Darwin down to Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane. Uh, and then from there, we had to play around with getting across the ditch, uh, being the Pacific Ocean. Uh, every time I've looked for Qantas availability across the Pacific, I've found nothing. But for it, you must have been a lucky charm because when we looked at it the other day, there was availability all over the place. Um, so we, we looked at LAX uh, and also Dallas, which was available uh, from Sydney, uh, LAX from Melbourne. In the end, due to a couple of little quirky things that happened with the booking, we ended up having to go with Sydney uh, to Dallas. And then I needed to tack on a, a, a trip from Dallas to Monterey, which is only an hour and a bit journey, but um, I'm sure you have a question to ask me about that. Um, we left Monterey off that, um, 
of that uh, booking because we wanted to stay within the 35,000 mile um, limit. So then the next part of it was to make my way from Monterey to Seattle, I think, was that right? Yes, because because, um, it's hard to find seats from LAX back across to Asia. So Seattle or San Diego, I think, were your preferred um, places to look. We had a San Diego booking, but um, to take your advice, Matt, and to ensure that the listeners take your advice as well, is that when you see something, you need to grab it because that one seat from San Diego to Narita disappeared in 24 hours that we were looking at for it, looking at it. So we had to head up to Seattle. There was some availability from Seattle with JAL across to Narita and then down to Singapore. And that was one part of the booking done. Yeah, and of course, you can't come back um, to Australia in the middle of the trip. You can't, if you're starting the trip in Darwin, you can't then stop over in Darwin midway through the trip, then go overseas and come back again. So that's that's why, um, if anyone's wondering why he's um, stopping over in Singapore in the middle in between the two trips. And then you're just um, booking a positioning flight from Singapore back to Darwin and then back to Singapore, right? Correct, because then a month later, I've got to head off to Helsinki. And so as part of that process, Uh, We looked for availability from Singapore to Helsinki, which we found on Qatar business class uh, via Doha, uh, quite a nice timed flight there. Um, Arriving in Helsinki, uh, do what I need to do there. And then flying back via, uh, well, using Finnair. And we couldn't find Finnair back to, and we couldn't get, we couldn't fly to Singapore. So there was a rule against flying back yeah, to Singapore. Yeah, you can't have, you can't stop over twice in the same city. So because you already had that stop over in Singapore, we needed to finish the trip somewhere else. Right. And um, there's no One World Airlines flying from Asia to Darwin. So to get One World availability from Helsinki to Darwin, it would have required flying probably via Perth. Right. or via Melbourne or Sydney, which just would have completely blown, um, blown out the mileage and we wouldn't have had enough miles to work with. Right. So we then looked at uh, Kuala Lumpur, uh, which uh, Finnair wasn't flying to, or there was no availability at least. So we found one uh, to Bangkok. So from Helsinki to Bangkok on Finnair, and then Bangkok down to Kuala Lumpur on Malaysian Airlines, and then obviously buying a one-way uh, ticket on Silk Air from Malaysia back to um, Darwin. Yeah, so there's a little bit of fiddling around with positioning flights um, in various parts, but on the whole, you were basically able to get for 280,000 corners points two business class long haul trips, round trips. That's right. I mean, 280,000 points would be, if you weren't booking this as a One World Award, pretty much what you pay just to go from Australia to Europe and back once. Yes. So it's not, not a bad deal there and a good use of the One World Award. I mean, Qantas points are, you know, are notoriously you know, high, uh, you know, a high number of points required to do anything. So the fact that you could do this uh, it really opened my eyes up to uh, you know, what, what's available and what's out there. Yeah. How much were the taxes on a booking like this? Uh, it was 1400 which didn't surprise me for Qantas. Uh, you, know, you generally pay some pretty high taxes for, for flying... Uh, on that network, um, I don't know what that what the spread was between uh, Dallas and and Helsinki though, um, but I was happy to pay fourteen hundred for two business class long haul trips. Yeah, 
Qantas, um, as we know, is going to be decreasing the carrier charges payable on long-haul premium cabin Qantas flights on the 18th of September. So it's kind of going some way to compensate for the increase in the number of points required. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you think that's a good thing? Oh, of course it's a good thing to drop uh, drop the carrier charges. I mean, look, when uh, you know when when the frequent flyer programs were first released way back when there was no such thing as carrier charges you know uh, both Ansett and Qantas absorbed everything uh, and I was telling you the other day that you could fly around Australia back in the day for you know for 30 for uh, it was 30,000 points in uh, in economy from memory uh, right right around Australia with as many stops as you liked or uh, or 36,000 points in business and it was, that was either Qantas or ANSET, and there were no carrier charges or fuel charges or any other charges. Uh, or if those charges were, were absorbed by the airlines. We've gone from that, those good old days to now where not only do you have these fuel charges and other charges, but you've also got these carrier charges. Just for um, the sake of reminiscing, tell our listeners what um, you're able to book for that 30,000, um, was ANSET? It was ANSET, yeah, back before ANSET went under, and that was around about 1999 I did this. We flew um, from Brisbane to Townsville, Townsville to Cairns, Cairns across to Darwin, Darwin down to Alice Springs, Alice Springs to Ayers Rock, Ayers Rock to Sydney and Sydney back to Brisbane. That's incredible. You definitely can't do that nowadays. <laughs> yeah. And how did you find the experience of booking your One World Award? Uh, it was diabolical in one word. <laughs> uh, it wasn't so difficult to actually go through the process. And um, uh, obviously with your assistance, Matt, the, the, the multi-stop um, was the way to go, not, not around the world. Yeah, this is a common mistake actually made by people when they're trying to book one of these awards. They, it's so, that's why I said before, it's kind of a misconception that this is a round-the-world award. It's actually not. You can use it to travel around the world, but a lot of times people will go to the Qantas website and they'll see there's a multi-city option and there's a round-the-world option. If you click on round-the-world, it takes you to the One World Explorer booking tool, and that's the paid round-the-world fare which is a completely different product. So yeah, you do need to go to the multi-city booking tool. But what happened when you put all the flights into the multi-city tool? Uh, the first time we did it, um, we got to the last, we got to the pay page and it just failed. Uh, basically, I can't even remember what the error message was. Was this before or after you put in the credit card details? Before. Before, right. Yeah, yeah. So it just uh, came up with a contact. Uh, it's not, it, I can't remember what the message was. It was just, yeah, it, it's, it hasn't worked. Uh, you've got to start again or call the call center or something like that. So you called the call center? Called the call center, that old uh, chestnut. And uh, of course, you know, you and I discussed this the last time I was on your podcast. Uh, depending on which time of the day you ring, uh, it will dictate what call center you, you go through. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think the call center that we were directed to was in the Philippines. The person on the other line um, took all the details and basically called me back and said that uh, there was no availability for everything except for the, the beginning and end flights. Um, which is total nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> which, which didn't surprise me in the least. Um, and so we decided to hang up and start again. And because we changed one of the routings instead of flying out of San Diego because it was no longer available, we flew out of um, Seattle and all of a sudden put it in and it worked. 
And I think you were just as surprised as... Uh, I was stunned. <laughs> it worked and uh, we booked it and paid for it and it's all locked in. You have you, a ticket now. Uh, although I got a check. Did you say I had to check to see if it was confirmed or something? Yeah, Qantas sometimes uh, is not particularly fast at ticketing. So right. uh, they'll issue a reservation, you know, a P&R, and they'll give you a reservation straight away. But um, until you actually receive the e-ticket from Qantas... It's not ticketed, and if, if it takes more than a few days, some of the partner airlines might actually cancel some of the flights out. So you've got to make sure that it's uh, ticketed rather than just confirmed. But I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine, Leon. Right, right. Well, I want to thank you, Matt. And I know you've, uh, uh, you, you know, you've got a, a separate business to this called uh, Frequent Fly Solutions. And I, I, you know, I, I would definitely recommend to your users that it is an absolutely fantastic uh, service that you've got there, and they should use it. If, even if they know how to do this, they should use it just to save time because you are a complete master at uh, putting these things together in very quick time. Oh, thanks, Leon. And in case anyone's running, I did not ask Leon to say <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, the whole process of booking awards with Qantas is, is, is a little bit shambolic, if, uh, if we're honest. And um, I had a client at Award Flight Assist uh, just last week who was trying to book one of these um, One World Multi-Carrier Awards and he had a really bad time. He got put on hold with Qantas for three hours the first time he tried to call up. We, he couldn't book this online. And uh, then he got through to someone, I think, in South Africa who hung up on him. And then he called again and it just, I think he had to call about five times before it actually got booked. And then to rub the salt into the wounds, they charged him a booking fee even though this couldn't be booked online and even though he took about a, it took about a day of phone calls to actually complete it. But he did get the flights in the end, but it wasn't, unfortunately, a simple process. Now, Leon, to get from Dallas-Fort Worth to Monterey, because um, obviously we couldn't um, tack on that flight uh, from Dallas to Monterey, how are you going to book? That's only a one-hour flight. How are you going to book that? Well, interestingly enough, Dallas to Monterey has plenty of flights uh, each day by service by American direct. But because American has a monopoly on that route in terms of the direct connection, they're charging a fairly exorbitant price of $450 one way for effectively an hour and a bit trip. So what I'm going to need to do there is look for some Qantas frequent flyer point availability, I think. Yeah, if there's availability, that would only be 8,000 points to book because it is, it's under 600 miles, that route. Yeah. So that would be a pretty good use of points compared to paying the $450 that American Airlines wants. That's right. But I was quite surprised. Um, some, if you're an Australian frequent flyer reader and you were reading the Gazette last week, they, you might have seen the article about hidden city pricing where it's actually cheaper to fly from A to C via B than it is to fly just from A to B. And we saw a good example here. Uh, if you're going to fly American Airlines from Los Angeles to Monterey via Dallas-Fort Worth, so that's about four times um, further that you're actually flying, it's going to be only $350 rather than $450. Mm. The, the trouble there is that, if, especially if you've got checked luggage, it just doesn't work. No, um, that's right. So, yeah, I guess you can't take advantage of that. But... There's other, this is largely an American phenomenon, the whole hidden city pricing, where the pricing is just so different on various different city pairs, but it's not exclusive to North America. And in fact, there are examples of where this is a thing right here in Australia. 
I came across this weird pricing anomaly you know, a couple of weeks ago where if you're going to fly from Perth to Sydney in business class on Qantas, it's about $2,500 one way. But from Perth to Auckland via Sydney, it's about $1,000. So about $1,500 cheaper. But I guess if you're going to be checking in luggage, you'd either have to get the, sh get the luggage short checked through to Sydney or otherwise it's, you're going to have you know, a few problems there. So I guess it's a bit hard to take advantage of that. But it's just the quirks of uh, you know airlines, and uh, it just never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> <laughs> and Leon, I have to ask you: Do you have a favorite credit card? Favorite? Um, I have a credit card I use a lot, which is the American Express Platinum credit card. Um, I think the pricing on that is getting to the ceiling of what I would consider to be reasonable. Um, I think it's about fourteen hundred. 1450 is it a year yeah um, but look the, the, the things that come with it that are useful are the uh, Amex travel credit which um, if you utilize it to the max is worth about $700 a year and then on top of that you get the Virgin free Virgin uh, club membership so if, if you fly Virgin even in economy uh, you can have access to the Virgin lounges across the uh, network, which is kind of useful. Well, I have to say, Matt, and I didn't mention this to you previously, I was in Hobart recently and I was completely stunned that they don't have a Virgin lounge. Did you see the press release that Virgin was going to open a lounge in Hobart in 2014? I did. I did because <laughs> I went on, uh, online to try and figure out what was going on. So I can't believe that because even Darwin has a Virgin Lounge and uh, you're going to experience it shortly, but uh, it's a quite a good lounge. Yeah, I've heard that the issue with Hobart is that the airport just doesn't have enough room and the airport, I've, I've heard that they're going to be expanding and maybe when they um, open a bit more terminal space, there might be a Virgin Lounge, but that is a little bit sad and that it never eventuated there in Hobart. Yeah, but the other uh, a good thing with the with the Amex card that uh, I find very useful, especially travelling overseas a lot, is the priority pass. And so even if you're flying economy class, um, you have access to some really quite interesting lounges uh, around the world through priority pass. And even in Singapore, for example, I think there is at least three, if not five, lounges that you have access to with the priority pass card. And that's not just for you, that's also for one guest, right? Correct, yeah. So if I'm flying with my wife or if I'm flying with a, another um, a colleague, yeah, it's great. They don't need to have the priority pass. I can get them into the lounge. It's very useful. And it doesn't matter what airline you're flying either, right? No, it doesn't. It's, it's great. The priority pass is definitely an underrated benefit of the American Express Platinum Card. Mm. Are there any uh, lounges that you've found particularly good in the priority pass network? Uh, yeah, and surprisingly enough, uh, right here in my own backyard, but the Catalina Lounge, in, which is in the international part of the terminal in Darwin, uh, is a real gem. Uh, in fact, I've told them that. Uh, you know, I've travelled around the world and been to many lounges, but the one here in Darwin is clean. Uh, it has uh, lots of um, food options. Uh, it's, it's not very busy, uh, and you can even get laksa, which is a wow, <laughs> which is the down dish. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so yeah, uh, good, good, good lounge. Other than that, um, I, I found an interesting lounge in Myanmar in Yangon. There was uh, even in I think even in Vietnam there was a lounge. Where was I flying out of in Vietnam? Possibly Hanoi. 
Uh, I think there was a lounge there as well. So yeah, it's quite kind of interesting. Uh, really, really useful. Have you come across any lounges that you thought were not really that great? Uh, mainly in the US. In the US? Yeah, I try not to go to the lounges there if I can help it. Fair enough, yeah. Some of the airline operated lounges aren't that great either over yeah. in the US. Yeah. Did you ever take advantage of the benefit that you got with the Amex card? Because Priority Pass also, they don't just partner with airline lounges, they also partner with a range of airport restaurants and bars, including some in Sydney and the Gold Coast, Melbourne. Um, there's probably others that are um, Brisbane, I think. They changed the rules for Amex card holders that if you have priority pass through your Amex card, I think this is from the 1st of August, you can no longer get the food and beverage credit through that, which is a bit of a shame. But did you ever use that when it was available? Uh, I can't recall using that in Australia, but I, know, I remember when I was in uh, Miami and I was flying out of Fort Lauderdale, I got some sort of credit, but that may not have been the priority pass. I'm not sure. I've got to think about that. But yeah, there was some some sort of beverage credit, a food and beverage credit there. Yeah, it's an interesting benefit if you do have priority pass, um, you know, having actually paid for a membership or if you have it through maybe the Citibank prestige card or various other means. But yeah, unfortunately not for Amex cardholders anymore. In, uh, and that's not exclusive to Australia. That applies to the US and other cardholders. And of course, there was quite an uproar <laughs> over in the US when they announced that. Right. Well, just as a, once again, as a reminder for our listeners, you do only have 11 days to take advantage of the lower pricing for Qantas Premium Cabin Awards and that also Qantas upgrades. So if you're thinking about upgrading on an upcoming Qantas flight and you have, you've got an eligible fare, you don't have to fly before the 18th of September as long as you book the, uh, or request the upgrade before the 18th of September, the lower pricing will apply. From the 18th of September, all upgrades across the board will increase in price by 9%. So make sure you get onto that uh, quick smart. Well, I'd like to thank you, Leon, for coming onto the podcast once again. It's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much, Matt. On this podcast and in the media in general, we often tend to focus on the big players in the aviation industry. It's airlines like Qantas and your Singapore Airlines and Air New Zealand. But regional airlines play an equally important role in connecting communities around their respective regions. In Australia, there are quite a few regional airlines that are not affiliated with any of the major airlines. The largest of these is Regional Express, or REX as it's known. REX has a large network connecting regional cities around eastern Australia, as well as a small network in southwestern Australia, uh, which it serves using Saab 340 aircraft. And while Qantas Link and Virgin Australia Regional Airlines serve destinations such as Port Macquarie and Albury, Rex flies to many of the Australian airports that the majors do not serve at all. These are places like Broken Hill, Birdsville, Burnie, Cooma and Cooper Pedy. And Rex is of course not the only regional player in Australia. Air North serves quite a lot of destinations as the name would suggest in Northern Australia. Meanwhile, Fly Pelican has a small network around New South Wales. Being based at Newcastle Airport, Fly Pelican serves routes like Canberra to Newcastle, Sydney to Mudgee, and Cobar to Dubbo using Jetstream 32s. Fly Corporate is another regional airline based in Brisbane. It serves routes like uh, Brisbane to Coffs Harbour and Wollongong to Brisbane. It also flies to Melbourne, but not from Tullamarine or um, the Avalon airports. Instead, Fly Corporate flies to Wollongong, Dubbo and Orange from Melbourne's Essendon airport. And this is actually closer to the Melbourne CBD than both of Melbourne's international airports. Fly Corporate operates five Saab 340s and three Fairchild Metroliners. 
If you've never flown on a metro liner, I can tell you that they make Dash 8s and ATR-72s look spacious. Regional airlines unfortunately face some unique challenges, mainly due to the remote locations that they often fly to, but also due to a lack of economies of scale. And they also have uh, usually just a small fleet of planes, so if something goes wrong, it can cause significant problems. And uh, yeah, as we as we know from the recent collapse of JetGo, for example, in Australia, it's not always rosy for these airlines. But um, as a result of the uh, remote communities that they do often serve, the regional airlines often have a level of involvement in these local communities that the big airlines just never would have. Now, for mine, there's one regional airline in particular that does an exceptionally good job of connecting communities and engaging with their communities that they're serving. And I'm not actually talking about an Australian airline, but rather one that's based across the ditch over in New Zealand. In New Zealand, uh, you'll probably be aware that Air New Zealand has most of the domestic market pretty well wrapped up. And Jetstar also flies to a few regional destinations around New Zealand using a small fleet of Dash 8s. But on all of Jetstar's routes, this is in direct competition with uh, Air New Zealand. So what happens when Air New Zealand withdraws from a route in New Zealand? Well, without an airline like Air Chathams, the community would simply be left without a commercial air service. Air Chathams is a small airline based in, as the name would suggest, in the Chatham Islands, which is a New Zealand territory around 800 kilometres to the east of Christchurch in the remote South Pacific Ocean. The Chatham Islands have a population of around 600 people, and the islands are famous for their crayfish. The Emini family started uh, Air Chathams in 1984, and since then its core business has always been connecting people and cargo between the Chatham Islands and mainland New Zealand. So this is an airline that knows the importance of aviation to remote and regional communities pretty well. The Emini family still owns Air Chathams, which now also has a base at Auckland Airport in New Zealand's North Island. As well as flying to the Chatham Islands, Air Chathams has also now taken over several regional routes around New Zealand that have been abandoned by Air New Zealand. These include routes like uh, Auckland to Whakatane, Auckland to Whanganui, and Auckland to Parapaumu. The airline is also now starting up weekly flights between Auckland and Norfolk Island, a route which hasn't had regular commercial service ever since Norfolk Island Airlines ceased operations in March of 2018. Prior to Air Chathams entering this market, the only commercial flights to Norfolk Island were Air New Zealand's services, running a few times a week from Brisbane and Sydney. The regional New Zealand communities that Air Chathams now serves have welcomed the airline with open arms, and Air Chathams prides itself on providing excellent customer service, the kind of service that the major airlines just don't provide anymore. To give you an example, here's a post I came across on the Air Chathams Facebook page, and it says, Wow, you guys go the extra mile. Recently, my aging father travelled to Australia and on his return could not get a flight that lined up back home to Wanganui until the following morning. However, he thought it may give it a shot to catch the last evening flight by running from the international terminal to domestic. He made it and was met by a lovely lady who got him home that night. Thank you so much for your kindness and uh, given he's a pensioner, it gave us peace of mind. Simply amazing service. That's, that's one Facebook post. I've also seen another um, story about Air Chathams where someone who was flying um, from a regional destination, New Zealand, to Auckland was connecting later that day to an international flight, but they left their passport back home. Now, Air Chathams actually arranged for uh, to get their passport couriered to the airport, and then they flew it to the pa- um, 
on the next flight available from that airport to New to Auckland for that passenger and deliver the passport to the passenger on time for them to make their international connection and without charging them anything. And I mean, it's just this is the kind of um, extra mile uh, customer service that we just don't see enough of these days with uh, with the mainstream airlines. Now, H. Adams is also involved extensively in community sponsorships and events. Now, I flew with Air Chathams from Auckland to Wanganui a little while back, and I was pleasantly surprised um, to be flying on a Convair 580 aircraft that was built way back in 1957. It was almost like flying in a new in a museum, which may not appeal to everyone, but I guess as a self-confessed aviation geek, I loved it. The aircraft only had 50 seats, and it was in a 2-2 layout. Um, and despite only having a few rows, there were no less than three exit rows with a super amount of legroom. And even in the, even in the seats that weren't exit row seats, they were incredibly spacious. This plane was built in an era before airlines was trying to squeeze in as many passengers as they could. Now, the cabin in the Convair aircraft was quite old school. The microphone used by the flight attendant had an actual telephone. It was an actual telephone, like on a long spiral cord. And uh, the flight attendant call bell was not a bell at all, rather a lever that you had to pull out of the overhead panel. Uh, there was one toilet at the front of the aircraft, although there was no running water or, uh, or a sink. Um, but in spite of this, my experience with Air Chathams was absolutely positive. And um, on both of the flights, I took every single staff member that I interacted with was just joyful and enthusiastic. And they seemed to genuinely believe in the airlines and they wanted to provide a good service to their customers which was just so refreshing. At the time that I flew with them, Air Chathams didn't have its own in-flight magazine or anything like that, but they have actually recently launched one, so I'd be interested to see how that looks. Today, Air Chathams operates a diverse fleet, including Convair 580s and even a DC-3, as well as a, a wide mix of more modern aircraft like the Saab 340, Fairchild Metroliners, and the pride of the airline, its new ATR-72500. In addition to commercial flights, the airline regularly runs scenic DC-3 Joy flights for aviation enthusiasts. These flights depart every weekend throughout the summer from the Classic Flyers Museum in Tauranga, and tickets are 99 bucks each. This price includes entry to the museum. So Air Chathams is an airline that um, is proud of its um, historic aircraft, and um, this is also seen when it recently retired one of its oldest Convair 580 aircraft. The fuselage was put up for auction, and the owners were hoping to sell it to somebody with a creative use in mind, such as a cafe or an Airbnb. Uh, it, these are the kinds of stories that I just love, and um, and this this segment is not an ad for Air Chathams at all. Um, I just thought it was worth talking about an airline that seems to generally look after its passengers and the communities it flies to. And so it, it's very refreshing, and yes, there are airlines like this still out there. If you've uh, flown with Air Chathams, or perhaps there's another little-known airline that you think is worth talking about on the podcast, I'd love to know about it. So please um, let me know in the AFF On Air discussion thread about your experience. That's just about all for today's episode of AFF On Air. Before I go, I wanted to quickly address some of the recent chat in the AFF On Air discussion thread about the length of the podcast. Some people have commented the episodes are too long and some have said they're too short and some have said they're just about right. So I guess we can't please everyone. But uh, just for your interest, I generally plan for each episode to be around 30 to 40 minutes long. 
Some episodes will be a little bit longer if there's an extended interview, such as the episode we had with JB747. Um, But if you're finding the episodes too long to listen to in one go, that's okay. Most podcast streaming services such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts do allow you to pause, rewind, and continue listening later from where you left off. And they will actually save the position that you left off from. But if if you have any thoughts about the length of the podcast, um, do you think it's about right? Um, And also what kind of content you think we should be including more or maybe less of, please feel free to let me know in the AFF On Air discussion thread. In this thread, which you'll find linked in the episode notes, you're also welcome to ask me any travel-related questions, which uh, you might like me to answer in a future episode of the podcast. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. Finally, if you're planning to redeem your Qantas Frequent Flyer points before the prices go up on the 18th of September, do make sure that you get onto this as soon as possible. Don't leave it to the last minute. The prices will go up at you know 11.59 p.m. on the 17th of September. And uh, keep in mind that it can, especially with the way things have been with uh, Qantas bookings lately, it can take a few days for your booking to be ticketed. So don't leave it till the evening of the 17th. Um, get on to booking those, those flights now and uh, also requesting your upgrades now. And uh, if there's one thing that I hope you got from the interview with Leon earlier this episode, it's that when you're booking a reward flight using Qantas points, persistence really is key. The Qantas website doesn't always work, and you may not always be able to get in touch with their call center in a timely manner. And even if you do uh, um, get through to the call center, some of the agents there are really not great, and some of them don't either don't know what they're talking about, or even don't have access to redemption seats that do in fact exist. So I've heard so many stories of people calling up asking to book a flight and being told there's no seats available. If they call up again, then suddenly they are available. Um, You may need to hang up and call again a few times. Either way, please don't give up. Just remember you should be able to get there in the end. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, happy flying. Happy flying.